0: I'm going to ask you, Isabel, the name of the singer, the name of the track. Is that like the handy side's trying to sneak in unnoticed? <laughs> Welcome, guys. So, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. Who's ever felt like that? Who's ever felt like that? In other words, if I could be a kid again, or a young person, with this amount of of wisdom and know-how, how how great would that be? Actually, that's utter rubbish. If you went back to being a kid again with this amount of wisdom and know-how, you'd be a rubbish kid. You'd be the worst kid ever. Why? Why would you be the worst kid ever? Exactly. You wouldn't be a kid. You would overthink everything. You would read a manual before you set out to do anything. You would just be a rubbish kid. <laughs> <laughs> eh? Say it again. wouldn't read a manual because you're a man. Ah, <laughs> <Say it again. laughs> oh, I see, yes. Man, you will. Uh, do women read womanuals? They just go to... <laughs> or is it Emmanuel? There you go. There's a link. I think I'll just stop there. No, I better, I better stick to the, uh, the script. The script being, we're looking at Titus. Paul's letter to Titus, which will excite us and ignite us. <laughs> I was watching Will I Am yesterday. A bit inspired by, the, by that guy. So, this is, um, this is the, final, the final chapter of, of Titus, as Paul writes a letter to Titus the teacher, instructing him how to instruct um, this rabble, this motley crew that live on Crete under the authority of the Romans. So I'll read it through. Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another and putting it all out on Facebook. <laughs> but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, Come on. He saved us, yeah. not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, Kick their teeth in. (laughs) Oh no, sorry, that's the wrong version. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful, they are self condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because (laughs) because I have decided to winter there. I love that expression decided to winter in Nicopolis. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer, Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good." A lot of what's in this passage still rings true today, you know, um, and there are things we learn, we must learn, and we do learn that people (laughs) over generations have have had to learn. It's not like we entirely benefit from um, people before us having learned something. You know, of course we benefit from that. We benefit from learning through history, learning from older generations. But some things we have to go through ourselves, a bit like that child, you know, that has to be a child. Um, I say that because it's actually okay to not have learned everything by the time you're five years old. It's okay. It's okay to have not have learned everything by the time you're 45 years old. Yeah. That's okay. Not so much 50... no. <laughs> the truth is, it's okay to not have learned everything uh, from what you've heard in sermons, what you learned at school, what, what you read through history. You know, it's okay not to have learned everything by now. So don't beat yourselves up about not knowing everything and not being perfect, okay? No. And in a sense, a bit like parents with children... Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking about children and how, actually, not only is it okay for them, to fail, to get things wrong, because we see that that's, that's kind of how we learn, by falling over and getting up again, falling over, getting up again. That's how we learn. In a way, as parents, we want that for our children. So, uh, parent, parenting is a, is a tricky balance between kind of wrapping them in cotton wool and leaving them unprotected, isn't it? It's a tricky balance, and that's what tugs at your heartstrings. I reckon that's what tugs at God's heartstrings, you know? Sometimes God is very protective of us. Sometimes he allows us to trip up, get up again, trip up, get up again. It's a tricky balance. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ah, obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one, to be peaceable and consider, oh, considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. You know, at the time, as Marcus described, uh, the, the people living on Crete, this is kind of um, uh, a few decades B.C., I reckon. Oh, sorry, A.D. I always get the two mixed up. Stalactites, stalagmites. That's the way around. I don't, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Left, right. <laughs> ADs after, isn't it? ADs. Okay. So the people living on Crete, the people living on Crete, um, we're a were a motley crew, you know, a, a band of ruffians, thugs, um, and they'd come from different parts of around the Mediterranean. You know, some from Egypt, some from. Babylon, some from all over the place. And they they kind of assembled and lived on Crete. And it was it was chaos. It was chaos. There were pirates, you know, they they made their living by kind of robbing from other people. And and these were the these were the this was the community of people, if you could call it a community, that the Romans were charged with being with, with taking authority over. you know, These were the people that the Romans were charged with, with leading and being, being in charge of. Um, ironically, around the same time, the Romans were, were invading our island and meeting our motley crew and rabble and bunch of thugs and hooligans, um, particularly, I reckon, when they came up to the northeast. Come on! <laughs> so much so, they had to build a wall, didn't they? <laughs> And you know which side of the wall we're on right now—the unconquered side. Get in. <laughs> but the reason I thought that was was actually—it it struck me that you know it's, we could read this letter to somebody um, to, to instruct people living on Crete, and actually there are a lot of parallels with what was happening in our country at the same time. Not only that, I think there are a lot of parallels with what's happening around the world in this present day, in the 21st century, you know? Um, For example, um, people um, governing an area that have very little contact with the people that actually live in that area, and perhaps very little to do, culturally, with the people that have grown up in that area or region or country, and yet, um, some very privileged people, very well educated but, but clearly not from around here are charged with governing um, a particular place. That happens around the world, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we could look at our government and make the same kind of same parallels, I guess, you know? Um, with that in mind, it's very easy to, um, or should I say it the other way, it's very hard to be subject to rulers and authorities that you don't respect, you don't really connect with, you've never met them or seen them, and yet you're meant to do what they say? That's hard, isn't it? I've found that hard all my life, actually. Um, You know, in school, as soon as I saw a weakness in a teacher, that would be it. You know, I'd think of ways to kind of undermine them. Sad, really, as I'm a teacher now. you know, if I, if I suspected that there was a, a sniff of hypocrisy or um, dishonesty, perhaps, um, in somebody who was leading me, in charge of me, telling me what to do, that would be it. Yeah. If I saw that sign, you know. Um, and the positive side of that is I, I reckon there's a, a real justice streak there. You know, if I sniff hypocrisy... I, I, I come against it, you know, or I try and undermine it, or... There's, it's not all positive, though. <laughs> um, I've got countless tales of growing up that, that could back that up. That It's not always positive to have that, that kind of um, suspicion of authority. It can get you into a lot of trouble, trust me. <laughs> or maybe don't trust me. See where it gets you. <laughs> <laughs> At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another." Paul is, is kind of uh, empathizing there with the people who are about to receive this message, you know? He's saying, you know, we've all been there, we've all been there, and yet there's some learning to take place here. Yes, I understand. Where you're at, but actually, you need to you need to grow out of that. You need to grow out of that, and it is a maturity thing, I think. It reminds this maturity reminds me of um, all of us have have, have, have grown up um, with with various kind of family models. Okay, I appreciate that, but but. There will have been a time in our lives where we saw that our parents, our our guardians, our carers, or whoever, as we grew up, did not um, get everything entirely right. You get to a point in your maturity, it's often, I reckon, early teens, where you see your parents as being... um, the, The shock is that your parents actually do make mistakes, your parents are actually fallible, your parents actually do get things wrong, your parents are not perfect, and it's it's a it's a mark of maturity to not only um, kind of see that in your parents. It's it's a kind of a, it's a a known stage that children go through. It's not only a mark of maturity to kind of um, realize that. It's also a mark of maturity to kind of work through that and be okay with that. Do you see what I mean? So there's a period of time from. Realizing that the people you look up to and always have are actually fallible, they do make mistakes, they do slip up, they do get things wrong. From that period to being okay with that and still having a loving, respectful relationship with those people. Now, that period of time from the realization to the the maintaining a positive, respectful relationship can take a long time for some people. Okay, and that's just with our parents. I I see this in in um, uh, kind of perhaps young married couples that I've that I've known. Um, I'm sure I I would include myself in this, where you actually sometimes you're very independent. You know, you're living away from home. You have done for years, and then other times you just need mum or you just need dad. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So we're kind of passing through this, this period of time of being okay and still maintaining a loving, respectful relationship with our parents and kind of not needing them in the same way, and also recognizing that they're just human as well. Why am I talking about parents and children today? Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good etc (laughs) etc our parents are are rulers and authorities aren't they and we are subject to them as we grow up okay and so what we go through with our parents actually is similar to what we go through in the workplace with our boss what we go through in church with church leaders what we go through in all walks of life what we go through with our feelings towards the council, the local government, you know, uh, uh, the national government, uh, governments of other countries, when we have feelings about those in authority, sometimes those feelings are similar to the feelings we've had ab- about our parents. Okay, might not seem like it, but, but I think we go through a similar period of transition from realizing that actually those in authority make mistakes as well. <gasps> Shock horror! Have you read the headlines today? And being okay with that, not only being okay with that, still maintaining a loving, respectful relationship with our leaders and those in authority. That's hard, isn't it? Yet, we've managed it with our parents, most of us, okay? My, my message today is that that's great that we manage it with our parents, but actually, what about those in authority in other walks of life? What about your boss at work? Have you managed to establish a loving, respectful relationship with that person after realizing that they get things wrong sometimes? What about David Cameron? What about local government? What about church leadership? All of those people are fallible. They slip up. They stumble. They make mistakes. They get things wrong. Sometimes they make wrong choices because they're human. The challenge is, what are you kind of doing about that? What are you doing about that? You know, you've realized that they're fallible, and how far along the journey, along the way are you, towards um, being able to maintain a loving, respectful relationship with them? Now, that was a challenge, I'd imagine, to this bunch of, of um, people <laughs> on Crete. You know, I mean, imagine being ruled by the Romans. You know, they've got nothing really to do with the island of Crete. Imagine being in Israel, being ruled by the Romans. They've got nothing to do with that part of the world. Who do they think they are? Coming over here, you know, creating an empire, um, literally, uh, telling us what to do, telling us what we can't do anymore. Who do they think they are? To some degree, a lot of... uh, A lot of established leaders in in the countries that were conquered by the Roman Empire would have been kind of either reacting to that or waiting for them to to fail and crumble and then they can continue with their lives or complying and and serving. You know, I think we go through those different stages as as people actually. I'd liken it to... um, this is this is my experience of, of how I viewed leadership. So it's based on my experience, but I, I do see this in, in my workplace. When I'm leading something, perhaps in a school or perhaps with a bunch of head teachers or teachers, if I'm trying to lead something, I see the same three kind of types of reaction. And these reactions are based on the people realizing that the person leading them is fallible and could potentially get something wrong. Okay. Once you've realized that, um, so let, let me give you a scenario. I'm I'm about to um, uh, talk to a, a bunch of um, subject leaders, um, senior leaders of, of schools that have come to to find out about a new um, a new form of assessment that's going to become statutory in schools, okay? They don't like it, perhaps I don't like it, but my, my job is to kind of deliver that to them. So actually, nobody potentially thinks this is a good idea. So we all have feelings about, well, it's probably going to go wrong, or probably next year, they're going to have another idea. So, we, you know, why do we have to do this, okay? Nevertheless, I'm charged with taking authority over this, this situation, okay? Hypothetically, but this does happen quite often in my line of work. And when, I, when I'm putting across this message of, this is what we need to do, and this is why it's a good idea, and this is why it's going to benefit you, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, of course, I have to believe that myself, which is hard sometimes. Um, but then I see this reaction. The first reaction that I see is from camels. <laughs> I recognize camels um, you know, when, I'm, when I'm leading something. Often they're the people with the camel expression on their faces, kind of like, you know, it'll it'll never work, and they say things like, "It'll never work," and they they almost immediately come against me and stubbornly refuse to change or move on. Okay, so I call them camels, rarely to their faces. (coughs) But you know, by the time I'm through with my second sentence, they've already taken the hump, I guess. so that's your camels. The second group of people are harder to spot at first because they'll be nodding and kind of listening, making notes, but you know they haven't really bought in to what you're saying. You know that they're just going along with it, and as soon as you're out of earshot, or they are, they'll be saying, this will never work. You know They'll be saying it behind your back, though. What they do is they come along for the journey, but they're waiting for you to fail. So they can say, I told you. You know? You know that type of person? <laughs> vultures, I call them. <laughs> Again, rarely to their face. <clears throat> I call them vultures because, you know, they, they'll, they'll kind of travel with you, but not for the right reasons. They're kind of, they're sort of circling, you know, they're circling, and you think you've got them on board, but they're just waiting for you to keel over. Then they'll be in there like a shot. <laughs> The third group of people are the people that really uh, my, my heart is for. The third group of people are now. Don't be put off by the, the apparently derogatory term. The third group of people are dogs. Okay. I haven't got a dog, but I think what's great about dogs is they're up for everything, aren't they? And their heart is really in it. For example, if I said if I had a a, a dog. An imaginary talking dog. Just work with me here. If I had an imaginary talking dog and I said, uh, Right, today we're going to go for a walk. My imaginary talking dog wouldn't look out the window and say, well, Have you seen the weather? You know, it's a, the wind's picking up a bit and it's starting to rain. Are you sure this is a good idea? They wouldn't do that, would they? They'd be like, Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll come. I'll come. It would be great. Imaginary talking dog. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. And uh, What they also wouldn't do is say, well, yeah, I'll come for the walk, but if we do that thing again where you pick up a stick and just throw it away and then expect me to go and get it and bring it back to you, I don't want to do that anymore, because it's it's really pointless, you know? Um, (laughs) One of us has to end it, frankly. You see, dogs don't do that. They're just up for it, aren't they? Even if they think that it's going to be horrible, You're going to walk in the rain, you're going to get dirty, although most dogs love that, don't they? Um, You're going to have to do this stupid game where they bring a stick back to you and you throw it. Um, They don't complain, do they? Dogs kind of have that that servant heart, I think. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, (laughs) to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always gentle towards everyone. It's kind of saying, be more dog, isn't it? In in that sense. Again, I never thought I'd stand here and say that to you. (laughs) Hmm. It's the heart, though. You see, um, and I touched on this last time I I, I spoke. (laughs) we can only really be um, free as a servant if our heart is free. We can only really be powerful as a servant because that seems like a contradiction in terms. We can only be powerful as a servant if our heart is free. And I suggested last time, suggested, perhaps that's too weak a term, I stated with utter conviction that it was the, there we go, that, that it was the Holy Spirit that does that. The Holy Spirit in me, I know because I know this, you know, because it's me, um, the Holy Spirit empowers me to be able to serve. The Holy Spirit empowers me to be able to to comply, to kind of follow somebody, to do something even if I suspect in the human that it's not going to work. You know, the Holy Spirit empowers me. It empowers me and the reason I say empowers is when I am able to serve somebody from a position of power, that makes all the difference. When I'm able to follow somebody from a position of power, that makes all the difference. And by power, I don't mean dominance or domination. I mean kind of what's inside me. And and the power actually is love, isn't it? Cue my next song. No. (laughs) I would suggest that being empowered inside is how we should serve each other. You know, if you don't serve each other from a position of power, actually, we're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. And maybe we're we're vultures. Maybe we're we're doing it, but we're knowing that 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 person's idea is not going to work. So we're just doing it, you know. It's the wrong way to do something, isn't it? Because actually, that negativity does come off you. You might not think it does. You might think you're being really humble and really serving and loving. You know, tea and coffee, rota, cleaning the church, yes, yes. But actually, that negativity comes off you. Um, And people know about it. People get to know about it. Even if they just get to know about it in the spirit. You know? And how many times have you worked with people and... They've been smiling on the outside, they've been wonderfully friendly, but in the spirit you've sensed yeah. something is deeply contradictory to that, yeah. yeah? That's the thing you're left with, isn't it? You're not usually left with whether they were smiling or not. Actually, you're left with that, that deeper sense of where their heart is. Think about leaders. Who appoints leaders anyway, and, and what what. Qualif- what qualifies somebody to be a leader the truth is nothing nothing qualifies anybody to be a leader you know we're all leaders Amen. and none of us have, have, have become a leader of something because we've been on a course we've done a certificate we've done a, a degree on the internet you know none of us qualify to be leaders thank goodness God God anoints and appoints the unqualified the inexperience the back of the line instead of the next in line I'll say that again God appoints the back of the line instead of the next in line often in in a in a worldly establishment it's the next in line that gets the top job it's the next in line that gets the deputy post and then the senior post you know it's the next in line well hold on you've been here for two years. I've been here for three years. I should be the next up for that promotion. That's not how God works. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example, and that, of which there are many, but I've, I've chosen this one. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, you know in the Bible, you know the Bible, in that Bible, in the Old Testament, when, when Samuel was, was um, ordained by God to appoint the next king, um, he went to Jesse to appoint one of his sons, okay? He went there fully expecting to know straight away who he was to appoint. And Jesse, in, in my mind, I don't know to what degree it says this in detail in the Bible, but in my mind, the way I see it, is that Jesse had all his sons lined up, these fine, strapping young men, you know, all qualified to be you know, in senior positions, in leadership positions, and Jesse looked at each one, and said, "No, that's not the one." Or, so, eh? Samuel. Yes, thank you, Shirley. Samuel. I'm sure Jesse didn't do that. <laughs> what sort of dad would do that? <laughs> thank you for correcting me. <laughs> the point is, you know, whether it was God or or Samuel that decided this, when he looked at those fine strapping well-qualified, intelligent, good-looking, young men. The answer was, no, not them, not him, not him, not him. And there was nobody else in the line. There was nobody else apart from our kid, apart from the bairn. Oh, he's out looking after the sheep, you know. Um, Probably playing his guitar to them. He's a bit (laughs) weird like that. There was nobody apart from the bairn, the youngest, the least qualified, The least entitled, actually. And yet it was David, the bairn, that became the king. See how it works. It's not fair, is it? That's how God anoints and appoints. He anoints and appoints the unqualified. Joseph in Egypt. He anoints and appoints the unqualified. Look at us. God didn't save us because of our righteousness and nor does he appoint us into positions of leadership necessarily because of our righteousness. If he did, it would kind of become self-righteousness because we would build it up ourselves and qualify ourselves. He didn't save us because of our righteousness, nor any qualities we possess, but purely because of his mercy. And if that's how Christ treats us, surely we should treat others the same way. You know, I'm free, and if I'm free because of my righteousness, that's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness puts on us an undue pressure to maintain righteousness and be right all the time. (gasps) Being right all the time. Imagine that. (laughs) I'm sure we all know people who seem to have to be right all the time. Perhaps that person is ourselves. Maybe they're on a a period of transition from from kind of realizing that actually not only is it okay to get things wrong, it's really important (laughs) and it's really necessary, yeah? I fall down, I get up again, I fall down, I get up again, except if I'm an adult in a child's body, I fall down, I think, well I'm not going to try that again, where's the manual or the womanual? All right. (laughs) That's enough. Only one heckle per Sunday, Shirley. (laughs) We have to allow our leaders to get things wrong. We have to allow our leaders to get things wrong. If we don't, we're not letting them be leaders. You see, willing submission, a servant heart, is empowering for both parties. It disarms oppression and dominance. If we willingly submit, it's impossible for somebody to dominate, oppress, bully us. If we willingly submit, it's impossible for them to do that, because there's no clash. But that's a a real learning journey, isn't it? You know, that's a real level of maturity, to be so empowered that, um, that I can serve somebody, knowing that they're getting stuff wrong, or that they're a bit stupid. Or they make mistakes. I've learned this kind of the hard way. I'm still learning it. And in my work, I really struggle with allowing people to represent me or lead me who I don't have much respect for or faith in. You see, when in the workplace, professionally, when they slip up, it reflects badly on me. So there's a bit of pride there perhaps, professional pride, but pride nevertheless. Yet think about this, as I did. Jesus lets us represent him, knowing full well, will not always do it well. He knows we'll deny him, make huge errors of judgment in his name, tarnish the reputation of Christianity, and yet he backs us fully. What's that all about? And it's not because he doesn't know us very well. Sometimes we think, you know, well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't let me do this. You wouldn't give me this much freedom if you really know me. Guess what? He really does know you. He really does know you. And he has massive faith in you. The gospel is not resting on our successful promotional campaigns, thankfully. You know, we, we do represent the gospel, but it's not resting entirely on us doing a good job of that. <laughs> Phew! Being right all the time is a burden nobody carries easily. And it's usually fostering a fear of being wrong, which cripples people, actually. I see it in the classroom. I see kids crippled by a fear of being wrong. It's awful. And I see it most often in maths lessons. Now, I'm a maths advisor, and it's part of my kind of calling to, to undo that. Where, where there is this curse, and I do call it a, a curse in maths, where there is this curse, I, I, I undo that with, with blessing and encouragement. You see, when I'm crippled by fear, it prevents me from uh, succeeding in life, from flourishing, and I see that in our children. Look at this. Um, John, can you put up um, three numbers on the board, please? Teacher mode again, Alan. I'm going to do some maths. Oof. Okay, it's okay. Small numbers. It's okay. Sorry. Right. So, this is today's maths lesson. Have a look at these numbers, and I want you to tell me, well, I want you to decide first for yourself, which one of those, it's quite easy, which one of those is the odd one out? Okay. Sure. <laughs> Surely. Which one is the odd one out? Shirley, you were saying? Sixteen. Oh, Shirley, you're not sure now, are you? Yeah, this happens in the classroom. (laughs) People answer with a question mark instead of an exclamation mark. Say it again, Shirley, loud and proud. Okay. Um, Sorry, Larry, what were you saying? The the middle one. So Shirley's wrong. Okay. So, So Larry's saying number nine. Has anyone got a different answer? Mark Simpson. Oh, whoa, whoa, easy, now. Mark thinks there's more than one answer. Shola, any ideas? Shola's got a maths degree, by the way. So if he doesn't get it right... Say it again. So 12 is the odd one out because it's not a square number. Whereas, 9 and are square numbers. Okay, so Shola's saying, uh, yeah, maths degree, maths degree. Shirley. Shirley, do you feel that you're wrong now? Because yeah. of Mr. Math's <laughs> degree. Yeah. Actually, what was. Shirley, did you have a reason for 16 being the odd one out? Yeah, because it was divisible by three. Oh, oh! oh yeah. So Shirley's saying that 16 is the odd one out because the others are divisible. Divisible? You, di- <laughs> you didn't say divisible, Shola. Sure. <laughs> divisible by three. Okay. Uh, Larry, why's, why is why's Larry. Larry? Why do you think nine's the odd one out? Yeah. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The purpose of this was to 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 show to show that come on then none of them are oh they're all numbers so none of them are the real odd one out oh odd number the other two are even there's so many reasons and so it's the reasons isn't it it's the reasoning that makes it right and, and I think children develop a fear of maths because they think there's only one right answer and often there is and that's very off-putting the brightest kids of which I'm talking about pretty much all kids. They work out that if there's only one right answer, there must be an infinite number of wrong answers. So they shut up in the maths class, don't they? They think, well, what are my chances of getting it right? There's only one right answer. And smart Alec next to me has got his or her hand up already, you know, so I'm not even going to try. This fear of maths starts when children are about six or seven years old, okay? What I'm trying to do is... is, um, help children see that there can be different right answers in maths, okay, but it's about your articulation of reasoning. It's about how you communicate your ideas, okay? Isn't that so in life? You know, this is not just about maths, but I do see this fear of getting it wrong in, in maths. But I think we have a fear of getting things wrong in life, okay? So, so think about what, what can kind of undo that. Being okay with hearing somebody else's idea? Because actually, they might be just as right or just as wrong as you. Okay? So my idea, I think, is pretty much the best in this room. But this person has got an idea. And you know what? We're just going to go with that idea. That's okay in life, isn't it? You know, there's the servant heart, you know? Anyway, we've done some maths. We've done some maths. Oh, well, the real answer is no, (laughs) you you all got it right because you were all able to communicate your reasoning. That's the point, yeah? That's the point. So don't be hung up about one right answer and lots of wrong answers. That's the point. And stop asking me questions. That's the other (laughs) point. (laughs) Okay, allow ourselves to fail. Allow others to succeed. Allow others to fail. Allow our leaders to get things wrong. That's the point, yeah? And be empowered by by a servant's heart. That's the point. And on that note, I'm going to (laughs) stop.